Welcome to the PaxX Podcast, now available on iTunes. This is episode 12 of the show where we talk about everything to do with the passenger experience. I'm Mary Kirby, and I'm joined by my co-host, Max Flight. Max, how are you doing? Hi, Mary. Good to be talking with you again. I'm doing great. Oh, fantastic. It's been a while. I have to apologize. I've had a, a fairly hectic travel schedule, but it's great to be uh, to be back on with you again. Um, before we get started, I would like to thank Lumexis for sponsoring this week's podcast. Lumexis is widely known for providing its fiber-to-the-screen, fiber-optics-based in-flight entertainment system on Fly Dubai's 737s. It is also deploying the system on Turkish and Transaero wide-body aircraft, and I'm happy to report it recently. Uh, it was told that it's in line for line fit offerability on the Boeing 737. So thank you, Lumexis. Now it's my great pleasure to introduce our guests today, that's plural. Sylvester Pittman and Darren Topham are former flight attendants who now consult for the airline industry and are now widely known as airline guys. Sylvester and Darren, thanks so much for joining us. How are you guys doing? We're doing really good. Thanks, Mary. Hello. Thank you. And Max. It's great to be talking with you. Now, if I got this straight that uh, you're retired from uh, from being a flight attendant and you just couldn't get enough and you had to stay in the business? <laughs> well, one of us was old enough to retire. Wait a um, the, uh, the other one uh, actually took a package when, when we uh, got into our, our business. Uh, it was kind of the right thing to do, but we both still have a very strong passion for aviation. So it... It, uh, I just, I just was far too young to retire. I just couldn't do it. Well, that's great. Once it's in your blood, it stays in your blood. I think that is true. Let's take a look at some of the top PaxX news stories making headlines. First, the International Air Transport Association this month will hold its first ever cabin operations safety conference. Now, among the topics that will be addressed by IATA and ICAO experts is the issue of restraining passengers in flight. Since we have two cabin crew pros with us today, we'd like to understand just how often do passengers need to be restrained? What's your experience been like, Darren and Sylvester? Um, so I would have to say in the 20 years that I worked for um, the airline, um, I never once had to restrain or witnessed another customer being restrained in 20 wow. years. Wow. Not, not one time. The interesting thing, though, is that during your training, you are trained on how to do it. And so it's one of those things where you in your head, you understand what you would need to do if if the need arose. Um, but in my 20 years, um, I never um, had to do that. Darren, I'm not sure about you. There was actually two times. One time where we had to have somebody sit with a passenger to help keep them calm. But we I, I never I. Never had to do the uh, airline handcuffs or anything. Yeah. Of that, sort. <laughs> that was so, really my question. <laughs> so uh, we had a couple of couple of situations that got a little elevated, but nothing nothing like what you see on the news uh, here and there. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think that in recent years, as the configurations have gotten tighter in the back of the bus, and, uh, you know, obviously it's it's a trial and a tribulation for economy class passengers, whether it's at the airport or, or in flight these days, do you think that uh, perhaps tensions are rising? Do you think that more people are just drinking to get through it and becoming unruly? What do you think is the reason? Let's, let's just say yes. All, all of the above. <laughs> um um, yes, I would have to say with with things in the back, especially getting really tight, 
Um, I, I think it does lead to a certain level of frustration for many people, especially those who are tall. I'm, I'm six foot tall. And, um, and for me, sitting in, in economy can be a challenge on certain aircraft. If I don't get an exit row or even if I don't get an aisle seat, um, I can even feel my uh, frustration levels going up. So for someone who travels frequently, I think that can definitely add to a level of frustration, which then could play itself out into someone being disruptive. Mm. Yeah, a lot of times they're, they're, they're gearing up for it, too. So in a sense, their mindset is already bracing for the most uncomfortable experience even before they get to their seat. So it does build even before they get on the aircraft because of their past experience or, or what have you. So it is an interesting dynamic. So yes, maybe they start drinking at the bar before they get on the airplane, which you know can lead to, to certain situations that aren't ideal. Mm, we just seem to be seeing more and more headlines about this sort of thing. And of course, there's this now like notorious picture of a man uh, taped up in, in his seat. <laughs> well, I, I, I would say we, we, we did not travel with duct tape when we were flying. <laughs> Although duct tape does fit, fix everything. Um, my, my initial reaction was, oh, my goodness, as a flight attendant, the safety. What if there's an emergency? He's, he's stuck in that seat. Right. Well, one of the issues that um, IATA is going to address at this this conference is the actual restraints. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The the handcuffs, the plastic handcuffs. Well, um, they're very basic and simple. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like they're they have a lock and key or anything. It's <laughs> basically a ziplock right. that uh, a little stronger so that they can't break free or wiggle free. And you have to just you really have to manage how tight you put them on somebody so that they don't you don't cut off the circulation for their hands. So. Mm. And and there are certain positions that you are trained in order to maximize safety. If you do have to evacuate the airplane, you know, there are certain things that you're not supposed to do. Um, like restrain them to the actual yeah. seat. Oh, so that that picture was actually that would not have that would not have flown. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! no to, to the armrest where it could be slipped off of the armrest, sure, but around a a, a stationary object, no. Well, on the training, I'm curious. Uh, there must be a, a spectrum of behaviors ranging all the way from just kind of basic rudeness to uh, the other extreme, which is a case where someone would obviously need to be restrained. But in terms of the training, where is the line drawn? Where do you at what point do you say that, OK, now the, the cabin crew has to step in and take some action? Well, I would have to say since um, September 11th. Um, I think the crews are just a lot more aware of what is going on. And I think um, crews, for the most part, are more likely to get their levels raised maybe a little bit quicker because of the magnitude of September 11th and also with the rise in the number of disruptive uh, passengers that are out there right now. Um, I I think it it happens a lot quicker um, nowadays um, than it did maybe in the past a few years back. It's tough to say exactly when you decide to take action because each situation will be very unique as to what's going on. But you, you, as Sly mentioned, you will watch behaviors and you'll react probably earlier. You know, definitely if there's a physical, uh, some type of physical exchange, then you're going to react almost immediately in that case. Verbal, it's, it's walking a fine line. You really have to be watching the whole circumstance, 
also you have to be aware of how other passengers are reacting because once you start an action, you're not only dealing with the, the disruptive passenger, but then you have to be careful and manage the people that want to jump in. That's a good thing, and it's also a challenging thing. So you try not to let things get too elevated too quickly, but you certainly do, I would say, form words carefully and directly in order to make your point. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of, of behaviors, you'll want to start to observe the customers from the point in which they enter the aircraft. And you're looking for behaviors. You know, like Darren said, it's a thin line, but you, you really want to focus on behaviors. How is this person reacting? How did they step on board the aircraft? Maybe did you smell alcohol as they passed you? Um, Did they have glassy eyes? You know, you definitely want to focus on the behaviors and you want to make sure that not only you know as as the individual uh, cabin crew, you want to let the others know as well so you can start to connect dots. Interesting. Yeah, I think that uh, people like Mary and myself and others, obviously, who are uh, in the industry or associated with it, understand the sort of the challenges that the cabin crew face. And but this is you know yet another example of how there's a certain amount of skill and and finesse required. It's not an easy job. No, not at all. You have to be completely, totally aware of what's going on at all times. All right. Well, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, in the wake of the tragic MH370 disappearance, the industry, including IATA, is now looking at ways to better track aircraft. And one idea proposed by Inmarsat would arm crew with a SATCOM flare as a distress signal. What do you guys think about that? Well, you you know, I I think any um, device or opportunity to help preserve the safety of, of passengers and crew is definitely worth looking into. I think this is a, a great uh, idea because there are so many things that the cabin crew will see way before the flight deck sees. And, um, you know, we, we had have talked about this before. And I think one of the things that both Sly and I really strongly agree on is that proper training and, and understanding of when this type of device should be used uh, and activated, you know, is key. Um, but again, I, I, this is Darren speaking. I really think that, you know, the cabin crew, they're going to be aware of something a lot earlier uh, than what the flight deck crew will. And, you know, we're seeing it all the time. We're seeing behaviors and attitudes and all that fun stuff that the flight deck never sees. So it, it's, I think it's a really good idea and I think it's a way to help ignite or ignition or what's the word I'm looking for just definitely make certain that somebody is aware that something's going on on this aircraft and, and I think and- that- that's ahead, oh, sorry. I was just going to say. I just, I just, just for the listeners who, um, who, who might not appreciate exactly what we're talking about, we are talking about essentially the ability for cabin crew to issue a distress signal in the event of a very serious, uh, very serious emergency or potentially catastrophic event or something, um, you know, a, a threat, for example, um, which is the word that um, that that some people prefer to use in this regard, especially when you have a situation like the recent Ethiopian hijacking right where the pilot um gets locked the, the co-pilot is locked out um so just that i just wanted to interject so that so that people know that that's what we're talking about and that this is what amr sat proposed um sylvester how about your how about yourself what do you think um i agree with uh, darren and I, I also think that it's it's an added level of security for everyone on board the aircraft 
as Darren mentioned, you know, the flight deck may know certain things that are going on or the cabin crew may um, know certain things that are going on before the flight deck does. And I think having this, I guess, panic button, if you will, Mm -hmm. would be another level of security. And I think it would make the cabin crew feel very comfortable because, you know, you have the pilots who who carry weapons, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. they're, they're trained to have that. But in the cabin, you don't necessarily have anything. And so having that panic button would would actually add a level of security to the cabin crew. It would let them know that, hey, you know, I can activate some type of warning. And this is my input into a very terrible situation. Mary, the proposal that Inmarsat has here, this is something that would notify the flight deck or notify the ground that there's an emergency? No, it would notify the ground. So what what they're, they're suggesting is that, and it's certainly, and it's by no means, and I should stress this, it's by no means what they're suggesting is the first line of defense. I mean, they have kind of a, a kind of a three-point plan, I would even say, that, that I've talked to them about. Um, but this is, you know, is a point that they think is worthwhile. Um, essentially, you'd have positioning data and, and other data streamed to kind of a virtual black box. So the airline operations would know, okay, we've got a problem. Um, so, you know, there's this kind of argument in the industry right now. Well, it's some people say it's too costly to stream in real time. Others say it isn't, that it's, it's and even Imarsat themselves have said that they're willing to soak up the cost of, um, or at least some of the cost of, of providing a streaming service to airlines, um, at least where they could uh, essentially have aircraft um, sending bursts of data, say, for example, every 15 minutes, uh, location data, etc. Um, but this would be kind of another layer. And the conversation obviously got started because there's been a huge amount of speculation about what has happened with MH370. And, and I have to underscore that it has been all speculation and a lot of, uh, to be candid, a lot of nonsense out there um, about what happened or what didn't happen. And, and we've tried to be very, very careful here on the network to not to not go go there um, and with respect to this absolute tragedy but of course one of the one of the things that folks are looking at is you know is this something that the pilots instigated you know was this a purposeful act and so that has gotten you know a lot of people talking about what can we do and you know I don't think people truly appreciate the role of cabin crew I've, I've said this to airline guys before but you know I don't think people as you said before Max this is a serious job this is a job that is you know, is crucial and is about safety. And, you know, these guys, uh, men and women crew are, again, they're looking at behaviors of, of passengers. Um, they're looking at, so they have a better idea of what's happening in the cabin uh, than anybody else. Uh, so why not arm them with that? I love this uh, distress button. That's probably a better, better term for it. Right. No, I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it, it would really, really help uh, the cabin crew feel even more comfortable and more safe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we should call it the whoop whoop button. The whoop whoop button. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one one issue that would have to be you know considered for the whoop whoop button is uh, keeping it secure, right? So right. that it can't be activate activated right. by people who are not authorized to activate it, and also so it can't be defeated somehow by someone who knows that it's there and wants to you know turn it off in advance. Yeah, that's that's the key. And there's of course that that is the the issue that number of people have cited in response to this story is at the end of the day you need to be able to you know 
put out a fire and switch off the circuit breaker. So what do you do in those situations? Do you have a totally separate system in the cabin? I would argue for these people that say, well, you know, the pilot needs to be able to to uh, sort out that in the cockpit. You know, there are cabin crew that are putting out fires and smoke events in cabins all the bloody time. Absolutely. Okay. They know what fire looks like, and they, I think, are smart enough to be able to put them out, as they're doing with these, and we've covered this, uh, these um, portable electronic device lithium-ion batteries that have become a real problem and are, by the way, will be a subject that will be discussed at length and in depth at this upcoming IOTA conference in Madrid, which we will be at. Um, What do you guys think about that? Talk to us a little bit about uh, the PED fire issue. I know that this is it's been highlighted as more and more people bring their own devices on board. Indeed, it, it, it has been highlighted um, quite a bit lately. And it's something that cabin crew um, must be aware of because of the number of people who are using PEDs. And now that you can continue to use them, um, I think you, you just have to be extremely aware. Lithium ion batteries are um, extremely dangerous. They can they they can um, they can be can be <laughs> extremely dangerous. They can ignite and burn um, quickly and very hot. Um, so it's it's very important that that cabin crew be aware of the dangers of a lithium ion battery. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. Well, and and some of the things that the cabin crew has to be aware of is the different types of fires because you're going to fight a fire with the appropriate extinguisher right. and knowing what type of if that happens, what what am I dealing with? Is it is it electrical? Is it is it paper based? You know, those are the things that you have to think about because there are different types of extinguishers on board the aircraft, and you have to grab the right one. Oh, absolutely! In fact, I I, I understand that with with very specific regard to the LiPo batteries and 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 such that they there's a concern that even after you put the fire out, that it could reignite because these batteries run so run so hot. Yes. So they're even recommending that they be packed in ice after an incident. <laughs> well, now that's a new one, but that'll make it hard to make those drinks afterwards, too. <laughs> Sorry, we don't have any ice cubes for your Bloody Mary. We're... <laughs> oh, Lord. So moving on to our final topic, I found this fascinating, Mary. I wasn't aware of this, that AT&T has announced plans to launch a new 4G LTE air-to-ground connectivity service in the U.S., and that puts them against the incumbent provider GoGo. Now, certainly we talk about connectivity a lot on the show, but uh, this story is, is particularly significant, isn't it, Mary? Yeah, it is. This is kind of huge news in the world of in-flight entertainment and connectivity and, and, and potentially, potentially the passenger experience. AT&T, I, I think it's very fair to say, is going in for the kill or going for the jugular, <laughs> <laughs> going for the jugular with GoGo. Um, obviously, take it, talking uh, uh, about a, um, a service that they would uh, like to displace GoGo and, and provide what they say would be, uh, you know, a higher speed, better uh, service and one that they could package, uh, interestingly, obviously, with uh, eight for AT&T subscribers, etc. The result in the last few days, uh, from a kind of a financial standpoint, is that GoGo stock has plummeted. Um, it has taken such a beating. Uh, a lot of people are fleeing, um, which is opening up all sorts of questions um, in terms of, you know, what's GoGo's future look like, etc. But I would say this, 
with the exception of someone like an AT&T or a Panasonic Avionics, for example, emerging to buy GoGo because it is an attractive asset, um, outside of those kind of like that speculation, I, I don't think people fully appreciate the fact that GoGo has these long-term contracts with airlines. So just because an AT&T comes out and says, we're going to do this, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden American Airlines, Delta Airlines, uh, you know, uh, Virgin America all say, okay, that's great, AT&T. We're just going to drop GoGo. <laughs> and yeah, s- s- yeah, we'll wait another, you know, couple years for you to get this developed. That just, you know, so this is why, I don't know, we're trying to, you know, let people, especially folks that are looking at the market closely to understand that GoGo has uh, some entrenchment there with these long-term contracts. With all of that said, you know, there is a, a, quite a significant pressure now on all in-flight connectivity and entertainment providers to give the best, put their best foot forward and, and give the best service possible because they are being judged harshly on social media by passengers. Guys, do you uh, ever log on in flight at all? Um, yes. Um, and being judged harshly and <laughs> on the spot, you know, when, yeah. you can, when you can connect, you could always, you know, tell everybody your experience. <laughs> I, have, I have used GoGo um, several times. And it's spotty. It yeah. really is spotty. I mean, there are times where it has worked flawlessly from beginning of the flight to the end of the flight. And there are other times where I have to log out and log back on several times throughout the flight. Mm-hmm. And that can be very, very frustrating when you're trying to work or you're trying to, um, to look on Facebook. I mean, there's, yeah. yeah, it can be very, very frustrating. So when we heard that AT&T was going to jump into it, we were pretty excited about that, that, <laughs> you know, hey, maybe by another provider jumping into the fray, um, that will cause GoGo then to maybe look at the reasons why things are so spotty and, and uneven when it comes to their service. Competition is usually good, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I will say this, when... Um, Whenever new technology is introduced, you can you can count on a lot of growing. And I think with AT and T stepping in, um, or at least telling them, "Hey, we're going to be jumping into the market." This actually gives GoGo the opportunity. They've already got a head start. They've been doing this now for a few years, so this is kind of a, a good way for them to step up their game. But um, both Sly and I worked for uh, an airline that really launched the in-flight entertainment seat bags, you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with song, but it was a phenomenal experience. And we started off without having entertainment in the seat back. And then we were promised all these wonderful, amazing things. Mm -hmm. And they did a pretty good job of launching it, but not everything that they said happened right away. (laughs) You know, so the new technology that, that may be developed, it's, it's going to start off and have its quirks too, but having competition, I think helps increase the reliability um, and also the product of the service that's being offered, I think will, will increase. So yeah. Yeah. It's a good opportunity for GoGo too. 
It is, it is. And it's kind of a shot across the bow, isn't it, really? Because um, yeah. they can, and, you know, if they're able to hang in there and hang tough, which we'll see, um, you know, I, I, I suspect that uh, we'll see some interesting things. I should mention, um, we attended the Aircraft Interiors Expo recently in Hamburg, and they unveiled this brand new 2KU uh, system, um, which is a, a really kind of high-capacity KU-band satellite-supported solution that um, even Virgin... America now is looking at. So it'll be interesting to see if you'll if some of these airlines that are uh, offering this air to ground service via GoGo now will graduate to these uh, satellite solutions here in the domestic US or if they'll hold out and see what AT&T has up its sleeves. But it in the connectivity sector it's it's very very interesting days. One other thing I think is important to mention is in-flight entertainment and and I had um, some interesting discussions on Twitter today with uh, Jason Rabinowitz, a.k.a. Airline Flyer, and Seth Miller, uh, Wandering Airmen, who, who, who have been on this show before, um, you know, they're paying very close attention to the IFE systems and how these IFE systems are performing. And once upon a time, as you know yourselves, these IFE systems could get away with being a bit quirky and whatnot, but now news spreads like wildfire when a system doesn't work right, etc. I mean, as flight attendants uh, in back in the day, were, were you doing a lot of IFE troubleshooting yes <laughs> yes we actually did um when 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 we were with song it was it was brand new technology we saw it rolled out on on each every each and every aircraft one at a time and it was buggy and it was quirky um the reliability of the system did improve though over the three years that um it was in existence beyond the three-year period it was really buggy. A lot of it had to do with um, the um, internal programs as well as um, user, user error. error. Yeah, <laughs> user error. And uh, we actually were part of a, a very small group and helped write curriculum on how to train uh, cabin crew to get the system back online when it went astray. Oh. Um, and so that was that was quite interesting. We worked directly with the folks at Panasonic and. Um, and um, that was very interesting. And, and it helped the reliability. The good thing, though, is that things have graduated beyond that point, And the reliability now is, is, is quite good on the systems um, that are being used. And it goes back to kind of what you were saying earlier, Mary. Is we get so used to technology working in our home. And then when we go on to an airplane and they tell us we have Wi-Fi or we have an entertainment system, we expect it to work just as well. This still is relatively new technology on board airplanes. Right. <laughs> and so you know, we're expecting it to be perfect. And, and, and the passenger, you know, that's what they, they're told. They should get it. However, yeah. you know, technology is it's amazing the speed that it's increased and improved uh, a relatively short amount of time. But. I guess that's what we what's we what we expect from technology. That is that is so true what you just said because it even though IFE has been around now for quite some time it's still a nascent technology, you know, if you think about it. I mean, there was still a lot of movement going on and a lot of people kind of uh, shifting around and, and, and getting involved in audio video on demand. Just Even just towards the end of the 1990s is really when it all started really coming on in a big way. And and, and so um, that's, that's kind of, uh, it's a true assessment that we're still kind of early days, but the expectations of passengers, as we know, are pretty significant now, as you say, based on our home 
home experience. Well, we, we were around when, or at least one of us were, was <laughs> around when uh, we had the, um, the portable uh, Sony players that had the little cassettes and you had to remind the customer to rewind at the end of, of, of each showing of, of whatever they were watching. So it's uh, IFE has definitely progressed. <laughs> that, is, that is true IFE, individual entertainment. <laughs> Um, well, I got to say, uh, we're rapidly coming to a close, but, but what I do want to say and, and what I find really, really interesting is that, you know, the role of the, the cabin crew, it's not just about safety. It's not just about ensuring that you have the services on board that you've paid for. Oftentimes it involves also selling. Uh, you know, there's a retail element now for many, uh, for many flight attendants, obviously. Um, it's transactional. Um, it's about security. Um, and it's also about helping people with their Wi-Fi and their IFE when they either can't get it to work or are clumsily not doing it right in the first place. So it's such an all-encompassing job, and we need to uh, get the word out a little bit more so passengers appreciate uh, flight attendants a little bit better here. Um, we want to thank our listeners. Not just popping a Coke anymore. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know. I, I hope that they're, uh, that pay will start uh, going in line with that, actually, by the way, guys, because, I mean, you know, as you know, that's that's another issue. But that's another issue for another time. We need to address that. Not only pilot pay, but flight attendant pay as well. Uh, everybody, remember, you can find us online at RunwayGirlNetwork.com and on iTunes. Be sure to follow all the Runway Girl Network activity on Twitter at at RunwayGirl. And remember you to use the PaxX hashtag when tweeting about the passenger experience. Join in the conversation. I'd like to reiterate our thanks to our sponsor, Lumexis, and I'd like to thank Airline Guys for being our guest. Guys, where can listeners find you at? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Airline Guys, and we hope to hear from each and every one of you. Um, <laughs> you, you make social media what it is, so thanks for reaching out to us. Thank I you. love your Facebook, by the way, as well. Your Facebook is great, too. <laughs> thank you so much. You're welcome. And Max, it was a pleasure to meet you as well. Thanks, guys. So join us again next week as we talk about the passenger experience on the PaxX Podcast. 